the promised passion. It was Friday afternoon, and the centurion guard had been standing at the foot of the cross all afternoon. As it reached around three o'clock, Jesus would die. And the words that the centurion guard uttered fascinate me. We see first in Matthew chapter 27, he states this, verse 54, Now the centurion and those who were with him keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. Mark would record these words for us in 15, verse 39. When the centurion who was standing right in front of him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Luke would record that he declared this man was innocent. Did you notice the past tense that he used as he looked at Jesus? He was. Jesus was dead. Tonight, as we contemplate his death, this, this promised passion, as we look at it, I want us to, to look at what was promised. I want us to look at what was pictured, and then I want us to consider the power that encompassed the passion of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His death promised. Scripture I mean, you, you go to Scripture and you begin to look at what God promised about this very day, this very hour. And the passages of Scripture just, just flow. It, it depicts a, a graphic picture of the death that would come. Of what our Savior, Jesus Christ, would go through. It wouldn't be until later that even his followers, his disciples, would truly understand the depth of what God had foretold. I want us to consider some of these passages. We're not going to look at all of these passages. By the way, we would be here a long time. But as, as we look in the Scriptures, we see that Scripture predicted that Jesus Christ would be rejected by His own people. We see that in the Psalms and Isaiah. Even the Gentiles would reject Him. We see that He would be betrayed. 
Not just by anyone, by a friend with a kiss. For 30 measly pieces of silver, Zechariah and the Psalms declare that. Are you beginning to appreciate that we're not going to all of those? We'd be here a while. And I've only chosen a few to put up there. We see in Zechariah that a potter's field would be purchased with those 30 pieces. We see in Zechariah that even his disciples, his closest, closest friends, would desert him in his greatest hour of need. The Psalms and Isaiah share with us that he would remain silent before his accusers. The Psalms and Isaiah declare to us that he would go through mocking, insults, spitting. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, was spit upon. That he would be scourged. Through all of this, Isaiah says that he would remain patient, even during his suffering. Psalms talks about the crucifixion. Even before the Romans had, had invented this torturous way of, of dying, the psalmist writes about it. The psalmist also declares that gall and vinegar would be presented to him and given to him on the cross. Records for us the words that he would cry out. Even, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he hung on the cross, he drew the people's attention back to the words of God. Declaring himself Messiah. Isaiah declares that he would hang, that he would die between two criminals. One of those places should have been mine. Amos and Zechariah declared the, that nature would, would groan and cry out as its creator is crucified. We see darkness, earthquakes, thunder, lightning. That as he dies on the cross, they would have the audacity to go and gamble for his clothing. His garments. We see that in the Psalms. Zechariah and the Psalms declared that not one of his bones would be broken, which is truly a miracle as crucifixion. They would come along often and take a hammer and break the knees so they could no longer try to get a breath. But not one bone broken. 
but that his side would be pierced. God predicted that. We see in Psalm 40 that his life would not be taken, but it would be offered up for you, for me. Isaiah and Daniel declared that he would suffer on our behalf. And Isaiah declares that even in his death, he would be buried in a borrowed tomb, but buried with the rich. Scriptures go on and on. And we haven't even looked at the passages of Scripture where Jesus himself declared what would happen that day. His death promised, foretold from the very beginning. If there was a promise to be broken, wouldn't that be a good one? But he followed through sending his only son to die for you and me. Giving us a glimpse of what it cost for our sin. Death has always been pictured throughout Scripture as the payment, as the cost for sin. You go back to the very beginning, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and we see that God says, do not. And if you do, in that day you will die. We see that they do, and death comes. In verse 21 of chapter 3, we see that death occurred to cover them. An animal was sacrificed to cover their shame. We sang about it tonight. The shame that it was ours, he bore on himself. We see in Exodus the Passover lamb. The lamb that would die. For the sin of the people. And here Jesus, the Lamb of God, as John the Baptist would declare, would shed his blood for you and me. Leviticus over and over describes that a holy God requires atonement for sin. Over and over, that atonement is found in the blood which where life is. Life is taken because of sin. And as Christ hung on that cross, His blood atoned for your sin and mine. Peter, I love Peter, 
Later he would understand just what Christ did. But as he would write the church, he would declare this about Jesus. For Christ also died for sins once for all. The lamb would have to be sacrificed over and over. The sins that occurred in the hearts and lives of the people would have to be atoned for over and over. But Jesus, as he hung on that cross, as he shed his blood, he died once for all. What a declaration. The just for the unjust so that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh, he made alive in the Spirit. What a work! What an amazing thing that you and I, standing unjust before a just and holy God, would give himself so that we could be restored to him. I, I don't understand that kind of love. I am grateful for it. But I don't understand it. Paul would later write to the church in Rome, the very nation, the very empire that crucified Jesus on the cross that day, he would write to the church there in Romans 3.23, he would declare that all have sinned. All of us fall short. That's pretty widespread, isn't it? We all have a sin problem. He would go on to say in, in chapter 6, 23, that the wages of sin is death. You and I earn death because of our sin. I love the but there. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He paid so he could give life. Romans 5.8 would say, but God demonstrates his own love towards us. His love towards you. And you, and you, and you. And me. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Spotless Lamb shedding his blood for you and I. What a picture! What passion! And as we, as we look at, at Scripture, we see the power of this, this passion of our Savior. The wrath of God poured out at Calvary. The centurion, as he watched, as he looked up and saw this man, Jesus, die, he declared, surely he was the Son of God. John opens his, his, his letter in such a powerful way. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 14. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. The centurion, as he watches this man, Jesus, die. He says, I saw the way he breathed his last. This man was well acquainted with, with death, well acquainted with the torture of the cross. And as Jesus walked up Golgotha that day, as they laid him down on the cross, a normal man would scream and cuss and curse this man out. He would fight and punch and kick. But Jesus didn't fight. Instead, he looked into the eyes of that centurion, I am sure. And the words he heard etched his heart. This man, as he's driving nails into his hands and his feet, pounding them, Jesus looks at him. He looks at the others. And he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He'd heard a lot of things as he drove those nails, but never once had he heard those words. He watched. As he would hang there on the cross, Jesus would cry out. And it wasn't an anger or grief. It was victory. A man dying on a cross, crying out in victory. It is finished. Everything God had come to do, the work, the prophecy, the promises, all fulfilled, all complete. It's finished. 
and then in full control. He would look up to heaven. Not in weakness, but in power. And he'd say, God, into your hands, I commit my spirit. The centurion is watching this man, Jesus, die. The things he said, the way he breathed his last, he remained in full control to his last breath. They didn't take his life that day. That centurion guard watched as Jesus gave it. In fear and trembling, declaring his innocence, he says, surely this was the Son of God. as Jesus died. Mark records for us what happened next. Verse 43 of chapter 15. Joseph of Arimathea came, a prominent member of the council, who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. And as, and he gathered up courage and went before Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate, wondering if he was dead by this time, and summoning the centurion, he questioned him as to whether he was already dead. And asserting for this from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Joseph bought a linen cloth took him down, wrapped him in linen cloth, and laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. I've been part of many burials, many funerals. Often at the end, as one is laid into the ground, laid to rest, there's a hymn song or an instrument playing a song. And most times, it's amazing grace. As we close tonight, There is no greater grace given than what he did. Because our sin deserved that. I'd like to ask us just to sit in silence. as we listen to the melody of amazing grace. Oftentimes that song is played with the bagpipes 
out of respect for the one that's been laid to rest. Tonight, we remember our Savior, crucified, who was. But come Sunday, He is. When we're done, I'd ask for just a remaining of silence in this room as you take time to meditate as you leave you're more than welcome to stop by the cross it's my sin it's your sin that nailed him there